Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. Well, hello, everyone. We are in our last week of Matthew Part 6, and we will be done with Matthew on Easter. 76 weeks, who would have known? I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know what book we're going to cover after. We have just been spending a wonderful time in Matthew for a very long time. Today is, uh, the best way to put it is, uh, if you were in college or even if you remember back in the high school, uh, maybe not as much in high school, but the last day of class, you know, and if, if it was a teacher that you really liked, it was sort of a sad feeling because that, per, that person was like either a mentor or just you really loved what you learned from them or the content. And the last class is a little bit sad. And in some ways, this is Jesus' last class for his disciples. This is what the smart theologians call the Olivet Discourse, which is like his last big chunk of teaching that we see in uh, the book of Matthew. And if you think about it, like as if you were a teacher and you, let's say you had your last class and in college usually you have like finals later, but the last class is typically like something, you're, you're, you're capping off everything, right? Maybe you're reviewing or you're like, this is my last one. I got to make it valuable. I got I to gotta give them my most important information. That is what we've been dealing with the last few weeks. And it's been centered around answering two questions. The first one is... Uh, Basically, when will these things come to be? And we're, we're talking about the destruction of the temple. And Jesus talks about uh, within your lifetime, which we know uh, historically. It was 37 years later that the, the, the temple was destroyed. Jerusalem was ransacked by Rome. And everything that the, the Jewish people had held so dearly as the presence of God in this temple was destroyed. But then the second question requires a lot more, uh, Jesus uses a lot more words, and it's, when is the end? When is the end times and how will we know when it will be about and when is your coming? And that's what we call the second coming or we call the end times, right? And that is where we are sort of waiting. We're in this spot right now where we are waiting uh, for whatever that looks like. And Jesus' answer to that is he kind of deflects the answer by saying you won't know, but here's what you do in the meantime. And so his last class is here's what you do in the meantime and we are still in the meantime, and so the last several weeks, Jesus used different parables and things to describe the posture of our heart in the midst of this. And honestly, most simply put, we are to stay alert and we are to just fulfill the opportunities that God gives us. And that's what last week was about. And last week was, a, was like about, they use this idea of talents and the idea of talent in that passage is not like I can dance or I can like spin plates on sticks. It's talent money-wise. A talent was an amount of money, and I made it simple by just saying, let's just assume a talent is a million dollars today. And Jesus gives this parable. This guy gets five million. This guy gets two million. This guy gets one million. I'm going to come back later. Go make money with the money I've given you, right? Use the opportunities. And two of them immediately get to work. They start doing it. They double the money. And then the one million guy buries it in the ground and is like, here is it back. I didn't want to do anything with it. And we, we sat on the, the tension of that, because we internalize that as, okay, like we all have opportunities in our lives. Some of us are introverts and don't want to be around more than three people at a time. Some of us are super charismatic and love to be the life of the party and have tons of friends and relationships. And so our opportunities are going to look different and also they will amount differently, right? Maybe somebody just has more opportunities to do a certain thing or they're more gifted for it, and that's great. So I closed last week with answering this question, how then do I steward my abilities and opportunities well? 
So like you personally, if I am a student or I am a counselor or I work at this company and I have this family and I have this house and this neighborhood, how do I steward those well? And I gave you five just practical things. The first one was to be hungry, which is just have passion, have zeal, go for it. The two who had the five, the two million and the five million dollars, it says the next verse is that they immediately went off with the money and seized opportunities. They were passionate and hungry about doing something with what God had given them, as opposed to the third guy who put, dug it in the dirt and just let it sit there. The second one is to know God deeply. If we want to do the things of God, we have to know God. We can't just make up what we think is good ideas because we very well could be championing a banner for God that God never wanted us to champion in the first place. So the more that we know God, the more that we can know the opportunities that he's giving us to honor him and to build his kingdom. The third one is to humble yourself with wisdom and discernment. And I've said one of the best ways to do that is to be in community, right? People that know you can speak into your life and how vital that is. You don't just run off. I would assume the guys of the five million and the two million didn't just go off and throw it into a fund and, and be the end of it. They probably talked with a lot of people. They consulted. They put it in diversified, right? They learned these things. They had wisdom and discernment with it. The fourth one, which we fall prey to, is fear and comparison. So we need to purge fear and comparison. Fear of what happens if this person doesn't receive this well? What happens if I'm uncomfortable? What happens if it ruins our relationship, right? Or the fear, or we need to purge comparison. Oh, well, this person has all these opportunities and I don't. So maybe there's something wrong with me, or I'm not as good, or God doesn't love me as much, right? And we start to compare ourselves. These guys who had the five, the two, and the one, the five and the two both doubled their amount they were given, and God gave them the exact same reward. Even though one of them made way more money, he, he rewards you fairly for what you are given and the opportunities you're given. And so after these five, then I close it out talking about why does this actually matter? Because the last thing I want to do is be like, hey, here's what Jesus cares deeply about, and then you spend the rest of your life doing it out of guilt or reluctance, right? Well, Trey told me I had to talk to my neighbor, so I baked these cookies, and I said hi, and it was terrible, and I'll never do it again, but I did it, so now Trey can get off my back, right? That's not what we want at all. Why do we do this? And he, he gives us the answer. Jesus gives the answer. There's two things. One is we want to share in... God's joy. That's the main reward that we get. When we are faithful to our opportunities, when we are alert and aware and have kingdom impact in our lives, that we get to share in the very same joy that God gets to experience when people follow him and choose to live under his way. I use the illustration now, like if I was up in heaven, I picture myself uh, around like a campfire, and there's all these people that God has put around this campfire with me, and we're all making s'mores, right? And I'm like, I know like a third of these people. And he's like, Exactly, like the things that you did with this money or this time or the conversation you had with this person, they then had with this person. And all of these people have come to know me because of little things that I gave you the opportunity to do and you just said yes. You just simply did what I gave you the opportunity to do. it, And that's the way that we think about it. And I get to bask in all these relationships that God has moved in their hearts and I get to see them all and I get to be a part of them for eternity. So we get to share the master's joy. And the second thing, which is really just very simple but not sexy in the Western culture of individualism, is that I just want to do what Jesus tells me to do. <laughs> I just want to be obedient, right? We hate that word. That word sucks. That's for toddlers, right? Not for adults. We're not obedient. That implies that we're in trouble, typically, right? But honestly, that's what he's getting at. He's, he uses three parables, and all of them are the same theme. You have time. You don't know when the end's coming. You don't live, then, as if you're waiting for something. You live now with the opportunities you have. And, and that is what we're commanded to do. 
So today is, is, is culminating on all of that. This is, if this, was his, this teaching was his last class, today is his last final words of his last class. It is like the last thing that he'll get to in Matthew before everything kind of goes haywire and he's you know, um, taken and there's trials and all this stuff. So this is his last regrouping, uh, that he'll, that he'll, the content that he'll give. And it really centers around the last of the five, um, which I, I forgot to mention, um, but it's just go do something. And so today we're focusing on just simply what, what do we do? Like if we believe in stewarding the opportunities God gives us, what do we do literally? Like what are the things that we do? And he's going to tell us that. Um, so turn your Bibles to Matthew 25. If you don't have a Bible, we have some in the back. You can grab one of those or someone can get you one. Or you can use your phone. We use the NET version, um, so we'll be reading out of that. But while you're turning to Matthew 25... I'm going to read you a small passage in Daniel. Daniel's in the Old Testament. Daniel is a prophet. And the first six chapters of Daniel are like veggie tale, classic hits, like in the furnace or lion's den, right? Like you've heard maybe some of these glimpses of these stories about Daniel. The second half of Daniel is wild. It is like he is on something and there's crazy dreams and visions and a lot of it doesn't make sense and there's weeks and numbers and counting and it's just wild and it's considered apocalyptic. It's revealing something for us. And so in Daniel 7, he says this. It'll be up on the screen. I was watching in the night visions, and with the clouds of the sky, one like a son of man was approaching. He went up to the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him. To him was giving ruling authority, honor, and sovereignty. All peoples, nations, and language groups were serving him His authority is eternal. It will not pass away. His kingdom will not be destroyed. Now, there's a lot of this type of language in this this framing of what we would describe as the end, eternity, whether we're in heaven or hell. That's the language that we talk about. And so now in Matthew 25, verse 31, we're going to read the first few verses, and you're going to see the very similar nature of what was read in Daniel is now fulfilled in Matthew And so they're asking, you remember the question, when will the end times be? How will we know? What will happen during it? And this is his last answer to culminate all of that. He says, when the Son of Man, which is him, comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And then all the nations will be assembled before him and he will separate people one from another like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. So this is it. I mean, this is Jesus' last words in his last class, and he's saying there will be a judgment. And this feels very like hellfire and brimstone type of Sunday, and that's sort of how it is today. I don't know how else to describe it. Uh, But there's just this reality. There's heaven and hell. There's no in between. There's no splitting the middle. There's no guessing. Jesus will decide, and he is the, the sole judge of heaven and hell, of sheep and goats. Now, if you're wondering, sheep and goats... What an interesting analogy, Trey. What's going on with sheep and goats? Um, Sheep are unique because they, in this culture, uh, were typically managed by, like, pretty poor people. It was a very low-income type job. Um, But goats, weirdly enough, were also mixed in with sheep when they would go out to pasture. So you're maybe a shepherd. Your buddy's a goat goat shepherd, a goat farmer. I don't know. And you guys want to hang out, and so you put all your flocks together, and they go out and eat grass together, and you guys just manage all of them. And this is what it would look like in the Middle East. The Middle East sheep look a little bit different than what we think of. We think of like a super white sheep. 
These ones have spots on their heads. Their coats are, are a little more like drab and, 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 and colored similarly. And then you have different colors of goats, and some have bigger horns than others. And so when you're just looking at this whole group, you're just kind of like, my gosh, I don't know. It's a lot of furry animals. Like, I don't, I can't tell, right? And that's what Jesus is getting at here. And he's using this analogy because what's going to happen is when they are done at pasture and you're, you and your buddy are done, are done, you know, gossiping about the other shepherd that wasn't invited, right? You take them back and you take them through this narrow path and they split them. Sheep goes here, goat goes here, sheep goes here. And from a far distance, when you look at that, you're like, I, I don't know how many sheep and goats are there. I don't know. There's just a lot of animals, right? It's hard to observe. When you get really up close, when you get really, really close to them, you'll be able to tell the difference. And you'll be able to say, this is a sheep, this is a goat, 100%. You go here, you go here. And Jesus is giving them this idea that I will do that. Now, there's a couple of things that matters in that. Meaning, one is we aren't the judge. That's pretty clear, right? Like, we, thank God, don't get to decide who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. Didn't want that pressure, right? Um, But... We have this weird tension of if we're sheep, if we follow Jesus, we believe in Jesus, we believe in the gospel, the good news, then we're still in this mix, though, of goats. Like, we're still not on our own. You know, I think we think about Christian community as one where we get our own little glimpse of just sheep, right, and it's healthy and good. But there, most of the world is just intertwined. Everything is just together. Trig taught several weeks ago about the wheat in the weeds and how they're like, what do we do? The devil scattered a bunch of weeds and all the wheat. Like, what do we do? And he's like, wait for them all to grow, and then I will pull out the weeds, and I will burn them, and I will take the wheat, and I will put it in my storehouse. There's this reality of the world that we live in today is just a mess, and, it's, and we intermingle in it, and we try to not let sin stain our lives, but we do not get to just only hang out with sheep, right? We are influenced by goats. We are around goats. We get nipped at by goats, Right? Even sheep nip at other sheep. It's just a giant flock of mess, right? That's, that's the idea that we get. And it's so easy for us to think that we're experts, right, on who's a sheep and who's a goat. And what we typically do is we say, well, you're not doing this thing or you're not doing that thing or you're doing this thing, so therefore clearly you're a goat or clearly you're a sheep. And Jesus is saying, that's okay, but at the end of the day, I'm the one who separates them. So you might think this person's a goat, but at the end of the day, they're a sheep. Or you might think this person's a sheep, and at the end of the day, they're a goat. And he's going to tell you how he determines that. Now, the weird part about this passage, and I'll just be honest with you, is we believe that salvation is a free gift of grace given to us by God. We do not earn it. We do not hold up our accolades, and God's like, that's enough. Good job. You go over here, sheep. We believe it's a free gift. But Jesus gives us these markers that are external uh, moments that, that prove an internal reality. That's the best way to describe it. Meaning that you can be really generous and give a lot of money away and never love God. But if you love God, you'll be generous. It's just synonymous. You can't love God and not be generous. It's just like not who he is and who you are in relationship with. It's the same reason why like, if we're best friends, you like my wife and my kids. If you don't, we're not going to be best friends. I'm sorry. And, like, you just... You're like, yeah, I like you, but I can't stand your wife. And I'm like, well, my wife is me. We're one flesh. I don't like you, right? Like, that's how it works. So in the same way, Jesus is saying, here are the ways at which I can just tell immediately, do you really love me or not? Do you really know me? And so here's what he says, which is just weird. 
He says, he, a list of hardships. He says, here's what I know. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous, the sheep, will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or feed and feed you, or thirsty, and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger, and invite you in, or naked, and clothe you? When did we see you sick, or in prison, and visit you? which I think we are able to say the exact same thing, right? Has anybody had Jesus over for dinner recently? No, has anybody visited him in the, um, you know, in the prison in Hocking Hills? No, like Jesus is not there, okay? So we have not seen Jesus in any of these instances. So the, 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 his reasoning for how he separates is very cryptic because you're like, well, you're not here. This doesn't make any sense for right reason, right? And we have six things that, to be honest, would be common experiences to most people. They're not, in this culture, hunger, thirst, a foreigner with no lodging, lack of clothes, sickness, in prison. Those are all pretty basic needs. But half the world doesn't have these things, right? Like, they're struggling. And the obvious way of thinking, like I said, is, well, we have not hosted Jesus. We have not done these things. And so Jesus gives us the answer of how we've done these things. And he says in verse 40, and the king will answer them. Notice the king, Jesus. This is the first time, really, they use the king language. I tell you the truth, just as you did it for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, these, he's including his people, his followers, just as you've done it for these, the worst of even these, you've done it for me. A lot of times we take this verse out of context. We take it and we say, man, like I just need to love the, these, the least of these, which is anybody who's poor, anybody who's sick, anybody who's thirsty, Right? Jesus, now, now I'll get to that. We do have a calling for that. But Jesus is actually talking about his people. He's basically saying, if you can't love the church, then you don't love me. That's what he's saying. And so, well, like, well how do we get there? That doesn't really make much sense. Well, if we think about it, Paul uses this analogy. He uses a couple different analogies about the church in Christ. The first one is that we are the body of Christ. If you've ever said that or someone said that, and you're like, that's kind of weird. What does that mean, right? And it's like, am I a foot? Am I like a shoulder? Like, am I a belly button? Like, what am I, you know? And, and all we know is that Christ is the head, right? He's the head of the body. So if you are a hand, you are one with Christ. You are one body, right? My hand in my head, it's all me. It's all Trey, right? So if you are a part of the church, you are literally the body of Christ. You are a part of him. Therefore, if you love the hand, you love the head, you love all of Christ, you can't separate them. Paul uses another analogy where he says that Jesus is the groom and the church is the bride. If you're, man, if you're a man, you're still the bride. Sorry, that's just the way it goes, the symbol, right? Um, but you're, you're the bride, okay? You're a pretty bride. And then Jesus is the groom, and he marries you, right? Therefore, you are then one flesh. You are one, right? So when you hate someone at church, you hate Jesus' wife. And like I said, if you hate my wife, it's gonna be, we're going to have a hard time being friends, right? If you say, well, Jesus, I like, really love you, and I really like spending time with you, but I hate church. They all suck. They're a bunch of hypocrites. He's going to look at you, and he's going to say, don't you say that about me. And you're going to be like, wait, what? I'm talking about these people. He's like, no, it's, it's me. There's several instances where he says this. In, in Matthew, a long time ago, like Matthew 10, I think, he sends them off to the Jewish homes to preach the gospel, right? And he says, if anyone welcomes you, they welcome me, which doesn't make any sense because Jesus didn't go with them. But there's this sense of oneness with his disciples. Later, in 18, anyone who welcomes one such child, which is a follower, in my name welcomes me. 
There is this weird, beautiful symbol that Jesus is trying to prove. In his last words, it says, if you really want to know me, if you really want to love me, you will love my people. That's how you'll do it. That'll be the number one way at which I'll be able to tell. And John 13 agrees with that. Jesus sitting down on Monday Thursday, which is like where they have the, the final supper, right? And they, the foot washing and all that. And we'll do that on uh, Monday Thursday. He sits them all down. And he has this long like passage, it's very heartfelt, and he says, they will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. He says, this is my new command. Like, I'm leaving this with you. Love each other well. People will know you're Christians because of the way you love each other. That is a remarkable statement, and what he's saying is, when you love other Christians, you love me well. They don't separate. If you love me, you'll love my people. If you love my people, you'll love me. He, he, he just basically says, you can't separate these. And so the simplest way to put this, and what he's getting at, is... If your heart is truly for me and following me as Lord, then you'll love my people. It's, it's just obvious you can't separate the two. Now, we get to the point where, okay, but what about, like, the general people, right? Because a lot of people have used this verse, and they say, well, we've got to go to all these people, right? Like, the whole world needs to know. Yes, but do we get to pick who is a sheep and who is a goat? No. So that means that we do love everyone. Right? Because the person that I'm loving on the street who's homeless, I don't know, one, if they're truly a sheep in that moment. I also don't know if they will ever maybe become a sheep in their lifetime. And they will be a brother or the least of these in my family of believers. So the good news about this passage is that Jesus cares deeply about his own people. The even better news is that we actually don't get to discriminate on who those people are because we don't make the decision on it, right? There's many people who go to church who, aren't, who, are, who, are, who are goats. There's also many people who aren't in church that will become sheep. And so we don't prioritize certain people over others because then we are becoming judges. Well, I think they're more of a sheep than this one, so I'm going to give them money and not this person, right? So for us, the, the command is to everyone because it's not really our job to judge who's in and who's out. We also don't know the future. Somebody who is an agnostic and you're wrestling with them, and you're having all these conversations, and you say, well, they're not like Jesus is right now, so I don't need to see them like Jesus. But how do you know that in the way that you love them, they might eventually become a follower of Jesus, and they're a part of the family? And so the best way to describe this and to think about this is every person that I am interacting with, I have to think, if they turned into Jesus the next moment, would I change the way I'm behaving with them? Would I change the way that I'm talking to them? Would I be on my phone less? Would I make better eye contact? Would I say kinder words? Would I think through my words quicker? Would I give them my full attention, right? If I would change the way that I am with that person, when they become Jesus, I am not loving them like Jesus would or would want to be loved. So it's, 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 kind, of, it's, it's kind of like Jesus incognito. He's like there, but he isn't. And, and this is a testing ground for us as followers of Jesus. I like to think about it like if you ever have an Alexa or like an Echo or whatever you call it, right? You ever like be talking with someone and then all of a sudden she's like, sure thing. And you're like, I didn't talk to you. Why are you like listening to my conversation and probably going to send me marketing material like tomorrow about whatever I'm talking about, right? That's like Jesus is literally everybody we're talking to. He's like, this is me. Use this opportunity to love me because this will prove that in your heart you truly understand what it means to love me and to love the people that I love. So let's get to the goats, the bad. This is, you're going to see it's the, the polar opposite Verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, in this culture, right hand was your good, favorable hand. Left hand was bad. 
So like if someone placed you at the right, that was you're the wingman. Left was like, eh, you're, you're whatever. So left, you're left-handed, I'm sorry. Depart from me, you accursed, into eternal fire that has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not receive me as a guest. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. And they too will answer, the exact same answer. Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not give you whatever you needed? They're just as confused as the sheep. They're like, where were you? Did we miss it? Did we miss where you were in our lives? And then he answers them, I tell you the truth, which is like, Truly, truly, or I saw, like he's, he's double downing on what he's about to say. Just as you did not do it for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. And these will depart into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So you can see that there is no in between. You're a goat or you're a sheep, and here's the reality. If you're a sheep, you are blessed, which blessed in the true word makaros means happy, but happy as Americans sucks because happy for us is like, I got a milkshake, I'm happy, right? For them, it was a much deeper-seated feeling of happiness. It was this idea of, I am light, I am free, I am not worried about myself, I am content fully in the way at which I am in, in the world. So blessing, in this instance, is with God in a sense that I am just able to forget about myself and love other people. That's true blessing, right? And they get to what? Get to come to Jesus one of my favorite lines in all Matthew, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. The writer in Hebrews calls salvation a promised rest. So he says, you guys, the sheep, you've done it. Come rest, right? And then the goats, he says the opposite. Leave me, depart from me, separate from me. Because if I'm going to have these sheep here, I can't have any of this here. It will ruin the sheep that I'm caring for. So they're departed and they're called accursed or cursed. We typically think of curse as like a curse word or like witchcraft. Like someone put a curse on me, right? They cast a spell and I'm like cursed, right? Curse really just means fruitlessness. It means to not bear its purpose. So when they say you're cursed, it's the same thing as when Jesus, we remember a few, several weeks ago, uh, he cursed a fig tree. You remember that? He was like walking by and this, this tree, he goes to it and he's going to grab fruit and there's no fruit. And he's like, curse you. You'll never bear fruit. And it just withers and dies. And they're like, whoa, Jesus did not have his pour over this morning. Like, why is he so mad at this tree? And then in John 15, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible, they use this analogy of the vine, and Jesus says, I am the true vine, my father is the gardener, and my father will take away every branch that does not bear fruit in me, and he will take it into a pile and he will burn it. And he prunes every branch that bears fruit so that it will bear more fruit. Remember, if you are faithful in your opportunities on earth, you will be given more opportunities in heaven. We talked about how authority is given to you when you, when you utilize authority given to you now. In the same way, I will prune you so that you bear even more fruit. Hebrews 6 uses this exact analogy of curse and blessing. It says, For the ground that is soaked up the rain that frequently falls on it, it yields useful vegetation for those who tend it, receives a blessing from God. But if it produces thorns and thistles, it is useless, about to be cursed. Its fate is to be burned. So how do you tell if someone's fruitless? Is it our job to tell if someone's fruitless? That's a pretty hard question to answer, right? Do I tell my friend who I love deeply, who claims to love Jesus, who is walking down this sin pattern, do I tell them something? Do I pray for them? Do I wait 
do I talk to other people without trying to gossip to get some wisdom, right? You ever been there? It's hard. But what we know at the end of the day is you're not the judge, which is relieving. But there's still this reality of fruit that we as a community want to be able to bear together. And if someone is not bearing fruit, be like, hey, what's going on? I want to I bring you to Jesus, and I want you to know this is what Jesus calls you to. Are you okay? Are you all right? Instead of being like, you're not doing the things I think you need to do, it's are you really bringing yourself before the Lord? I mean, who's a fruitless person? I've talked about fruit can be deceiving because there are people in this world that are way more generous than I will ever be, and they're not going to heaven. There are people that are far more compassionate or empathetic than I am that are not going to heaven. There are people that are just have far more influence, have far more deep relationships than I do, right? You can name it for yourself. There's people who are better at this, better at that, that are not Christians, that are not going to heaven. So where does this fruit come into play? And that's why, that's why I said Jesus ultimately is the judge, and he makes the decision which is relieving for us. But our ownership now is, am I seizing the opportunities? Am I bearing fruit? What is fruit? And so in wrestling in this tension, though, Jesus brings up hell, which is... Pretty rough and not fun. Nobody likes talking about hell. And there's this, there's this analogy that he uses of this eternal fire. I mean, there's a lot of scripture about hell. And to be honest with you, uh, 50 years ago, Americans tried to pin all of this down and say, this is what all of this means. This is a Jewish written like text. It is far more ambiguous than we realize. But there is this reality that there is heaven and there is hell. And and in hell, there is this eternal reality of what you are doing is destroying yourself. It is you leaving the way of God and, and causing toil and destruction, and in his words, fire, because the fire is what consumes evil, consumes the devil, consumes the demons, and that's a very Revelation-esque idea. And so before we get fearful of like, this seems very like hell and fire and brimstone, it, it kind of is. I mean, Jesus' last words on his last day of teaching is like, this is, this is it. I'm going to be in charge. I have all authority. It's been given to me, and I will reign in my kingdom for eternity, and I will separate people who are in and people who are out. And one of the main ways is to see, are you in deep relationship with me? Does your heart, have your outpouring of your heart come to love people the way that I would love them? Do you love my wife? Do you love my body the way that I want you to? And I think what's even harder for us is the bridesmaids, which was a couple weeks ago, Trig taught on that. The bridesmaids didn't do anything wrong. They had oil, okay? They had their torches. Jesus came later and they thought they were ready. I mean, they did the best they could. They just didn't prepare as much as they should have. They didn't do anything wrong, but they didn't do the right thing, right? The evil, lazy servant who took the million dollars and buried it in the dirt, he didn't actually do anything wrong. He didn't lose any money, but he didn't do the right thing. And so for many of us, we're more guilty of the sin of omission than the sin of commission. Commission means that it's very obviously seen. It can be seen by others. Omission is that we know what to do, but we don't do it. And then we say that's sin itself, which is unfortunate because the more you read the Bible, the more you understand about God, the more you understand what he wants and what he doesn't want, which means the more sin that you're able to realize, right? Which is, which is scary. If you're a new Christian, a lot of times you'll focus a lot on the external things. 
right? Oh, I've been mean to this person. I was deceptive about this thing. I appeared in a certain way. There's these very external things that we can all point to and be like, you should have done that. That's sin. But as you start to grow more and more and you start to understand the heart of God, you start to realize how far off you truly are. And you start to realize, man, I have these deep-seated things in me that are causing sin patterns that I need to address that are hard and they're dark and they're scary. And then, even if you get rid of all that, then you just see the world of sin. Meaning we're in a community that supports greed and gluttony and slave trade and all these things, and then you realize, I can't do anything about that. Like, that is beyond me, Trey. I don't want to pay $25 for eggs. I'll maybe pay seven right now in this economy, but that's it, right? I'm not going to fix this. And so you lament over the sin of just the world, and all of this is, is not about not doing the wrong thing. It's about not doing anything, not doing the right things at all. So for many of us, we say, well, I didn't do anything wrong. And it's like, but did you do anything right? And so Jesus says, the the things you do right are loving the very people that are me. So as I invite the band up, um, I just want us to center on this last idea. And so just sum all this up if you're like trying to just get a big idea here. This final class that Jesus is giving us is saying to stay alert, which we talked about. Staying alert and taking all the opportunities we have in life for kingdom work. I mean, that, that's like not, we can't take anything with us other than other people, and that's, that's our goal. And so in Jesus' eyes, we have to take this word for what it says. In his eyes, one of the most defining characteristics of someone who has fully surrendered Jesus into his gracious call of salvation is how deeply they love their fellow Jesus followers and human beings. If we don't love people as if they're Jesus We are missing it. C.S. Lewis puts it well in The Great Divorce. He says, there are only two kinds of people. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says, all right then, have it your way. All that are in hell, choose it. Without this self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. And those who seek, find. Those who knock, it is opened. So as we culminate in week 74, 3 of Matthew, we're at this point now where you've seen the 360 picture of Jesus and you have to ask yourself, do I want that? Do I believe in that? Do I want to give my life over for that? And one of the, one of the, the most prime ways that Jesus says that that can change us is how we love his body and his bride. And so in this moment, I, w- I just want you to reflect. We'll do a time of formation. You'll get the process. I want you to process through, have I loved people as if Jesus is right there in front of me? And I'm going to guess the answer is no. For certain people, maybe. Maybe you do it well with other people that are easy to get along with. And bring that before the Lord. I didn't do, I wasn't mean to this person. I didn't say anything mean. I didn't do the wrong things, but I definitely didn't really care about them. I wasn't really listening. I was checking my watch like every time they would just start rambling, right? Or I kind of purposely didn't invite them to this because I didn't want them to be there where I like, didn't try as hard to get them there, right? There's these things, there's these sins in our lives, and I, just, I want you to bring it to the foot of the cross because this is exactly what Jesus is closing with. I will judge you. Are you a sheep or are you a goat? So we're, we have the opportunity to take the bread and cup, and you can take that on your own. Um, and that's a reminder of the sacrifice that Jesus made because, to be honest, we're all goats without the love of Jesus. And his love transforms our heart. Uh, there's also people in the back who would love to pray for you. And uh, we believe giving is an act of worship as well. And I just encourage you to reflect on, am I loving people as if Jesus is right in front of me? And then we'll close in one more song.
Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.